So my name is uh, uh, my name is Una Gilvari. I'm the Chief Technical Officer in uh, HCI, and you're all very welcome to this morning's webinar. The webinar focus today is well, the basis of the, the draft regulations for providers of home support services. But particularly what we're going to be looking at today is the required approach for compliance. Um, so we're going to take a little bit of time about uh, looking at HICWA's approach to monitoring compliance as we move towards the new regulatory framework. Just briefly, uh, a couple of slides about HCI. Uh, we are um, we support providers in the health in health and social care to make intelligence-driven decisions to attain, manage, and improve quality and safety regulation compliance. Uh, at the moment, we're over 17 years in business um, and have 30 staff currently. And we've supported over 600 healthcare organizations really in their development of their quality and safety management systems and ensuring that person-centered care is very much at the heart of all of that. Before we look forward and I suppose start to talk about compliance and, and what it means as we now enter this, this new era, era, I suppose I just wanted to briefly look back before we can, we can look forward. And you're all very aware, I suppose, of the drive towards the requirement for home care and home support regulation, which goes back, which goes back a, a, a number of years. But I suppose recently and, and as under the context of COVID-19, the call for regulation certainly became much stronger and HICWA then, uh, became uh, the drivers at the forefront of those calls. If we just look at the Nursing Home Expert Panel report that was released uh, post the initial COVID-19 impact, and they released that report in August 2020, they identified very clearly at that stage that there was that two-tier approach to healthcare, and that was favouring um, the, the, the provision of long-term care and support in, in residential settings, rather than looking at a wider range of home care options. And they, their clear recommendation was looking at home support and, and expanding that and prioritizing it uh, and financing it in that regard. So on the back of that then, HICWA released uh, a need for regulatory reform paper back in February last year. And they, again, reinforced that critical need to expedite the introduction of home care regulation and, and the investment that was going to be required uh, to, to bring that to the fore. But they wanted to ensure that the regulatory reform would ensure that the capacity and capability would be in place for these services um, to support the needs of the population in a manner that's safe and it protects the rights of, of the citizens. Following on from that, just at the, the end of last year, they released their regulation of home care position paper, and they clearly identified at that stage that there was four key pillars that they saw would support um, home, uh, home support regulation. And the key ones being they wanted it to be inclusive of all who are in, in receipt of home care. They wanted to improve the performance and quality of home care to provide assurance to the people in receipt of home care that they were meeting minimally acceptable standards and to ensure accountability for levels of performance and value for money. Within that paper as well, they identified 13 key areas, and I've just pulled out two of them that are interesting as, as we talk about uh, regulatory frameworks and, and compliance. In, in key area 11, they said regulation should only be viewed as one component of the broader reform and that it should not be burdensome. And when we talk about that type of terminology, um, when we talk about regulatory uh, development, regulatory frameworks, we talk about light touch regulation, where they give quite high level regulatory requirements, and then it is up to the service 
to apply it and, and give evidence of compliance. So they're, they're not very specific in the requirements that they're giving. They allow a freedom for the services to develop a model that suits themselves, but ensures compliance in that regard. So that was an interesting uh, phraseology they utilized there. And another key area they looked at was uh, the need to focus on maintaining a standard across the home care setting before driving quality improvement. Now, this is something that we would have seen previously within the nursing home sector, particularly where when the when HICWE initially came in in relation to registration of, of, of the services, that they looked at bringing everybody to a benchmark level to get a minimally acceptable level and then very much pushing a continuous improvement model um, as, as, as time progressed and as, as services became more confident in, in their regulatory compliance. The draft regulations, I'm sure you've all seen them at this stage, um, they were published in June and, and submissions closed for, for feedback in August, so we await the next stage um, as they, when they'll be enacted. But we do know that when they are enacted, they're going to support the establishment of a licensing system for providers that is going to be monitored um, by HICWA. And they're looking for that system to ensure that the services are of consistently high standard and also safeguard um, the service users. We also know that this reg, these draft regulatory or the regulatory requirements of when they are released will only form one part of the broader regulatory framework model. And we know this again from our experience in, in nursing care and, and beyond in the other health and social care services. What they've detailed is that we'll have the regs and from that there will be a number of guidance documents released uh, by the Department of Health. And these are going to be based on the licensing application process, compliance, inspection, and, com and conditions for licensing to be revoked. So they're going to give us a broader uh, basis of information to support our application and ensuring compliance. And then as we know, <coughs> HICWA will release a set of national standards. And uh, although they're not, uh, there has been a, a number of discussion forums and panels in review of these standards, they're not currently available for public review, but we do know that they will provide a set of high level outcomes that will describe a little bit more detail how services can achieve safe, quality, person-centered care and support. And we know that they will certainly complement the regulations in that regard. One thing to think about just when we talk about the draft uh, standards, and we're not getting into detail about them today, but there is a change in the process uh, and, and the way that HICWA will present uh, their standards when the time comes in relation to some home support. Um, you'll be aware of, of the thematic approach um, that has been utilized. Uh, it's evident in the, the Safer Better Healthcare standards, um, but they have moved away from that thematic model and they are now working towards the FRIDA principles model. FRIDA being the fairness, respect, equality, dignity, and autonomy. So when the standards are released, they will filter under these principles and it will be driven out under this. Now, again, HICWA are very specific when they are, are completing their monitoring process. The regulation is the key driver, but the standards will then support these regulations and they will do so under these sets of principles. So we know that that is their approach uh, going forward for developing um, health and social care service standards. It's also important to note that while we have the regulations, we have the guidance, we have the standards, that's not going to be the full picture in relation to regulatory compliance, that, we're, that our home support services are also going to have to implement existing standards that are already out there. And that incorporates the national standards for the prevention and control of infection, 
the safeguarding standards, and also uh, the conduct of reviews of patient safety incidents. So again, you can see it starts to mushroom out in relation to the regulatory requirements that the services are going to have to be considerate of. I just pulled this uh, slide up and this was the, the, the contents listing for the HC requirements tender for 2018. And again, we can see that they utilize in this case, the safer, better healthcare thematics. So uh, as, as we talked about previously. So the terminology that was utilized within that tender document. And then when we look at that against the, 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 the content of the draft regulations, the terminology and the language and, and even the requirements in, in many areas it's not a million miles away, okay? Um, it, there are certain similarities and comparisons um, across the board, both, both in, in the Safer Better Healthcare and in the draft regs in that regard, obviously much more specific requirements in the draft regs. I suppose the difference for home care services in this regard is that we're moving away from that self-declaration and looking at HICWA coming on site and being in, uh, involved in reviewing actual compliance, that they will be making the decisions uh, in relation to our compliance against the re requirements. How do they do that? Well, HICWA utilize what they call the authority monitoring approach, where you have this triangulation model when they come on site for inspection, where they utilize interview, observation, and documentation. And through the, the, the these three points, they then make a decision on the services compliance in that regard. But also outside of that um, on-site inspection or a, a direct inspection model, they're also utilizing both solicited information that they've requested from the services and also unsolicited, unsolicited information that they're receiving from external parties, be that <clears throat> previous uh, service users or their families, whatever the case may be. They're utilizing all of that to build um, a decision of compliance about um, a service. Um, so that will be their approach uh, across the board. But when we talk about compliance, what, what does, does it actually mean for HICWA for a service to be compliant? So what I wanted to do was pull out a couple of samples out of the draft regs and look at what we would expect HICWA, uh, their approach would be in relation to whether something is compliant or not. Now within the regulations, and you'll see this across the board, in some elements, they're very prescriptive requirements, and in some, they're quite high level. So if we look at an example of a prescriptive requirement, and I'm not going to read this, but this is uh, in the draft regulations in relation to complaints. There's a lot of detail here, a lot of information, a lot of specifics and exact requirements about what they, the, the, what HICO would expect to see when they come on site. So from our experience and, and, and from reading the requirements directly, we know that they will expect to see an accessible, comprehensive, documented, and effective complaints procedure. That's going to be their first port of call. They're going to expect that that complaints procedure is communicated to all relevant parties. So not just to the staff, um, and not just to the people who are managing complaints, but also to the wider, um, the wider stakeholders being the, the service users and their families, so that there is um, an understanding of what the complaints process is about and the accessibility of it. They want a process in place to assist a complainant to understand the procedure and to support them to make complaints if uh, as required. They want to have evidence, documented evidence, that the service provider has investigated complaints thoroughly and promptly. And that thoroughly is, is, is the tricky element of it. You know, the benchmark, what is the benchmark going to be from HICWA in relation to what they deem a thorough investigation? 
They want to see a process to ensure that there's external reporting mechanism for complaints. So if you have to report this uh, a complaint to an external body, that that model is in place and everybody knows what it is. They expect the service provider to inform the complainant promptly of the outcome of the complaint. And if they are unhappy with the outcome, that there's an appeal process uh, that they are informed of and that any learnings coming from complaints that and we often say this when we're, we're complete, completing complaints training that we have to see complaints as a gift that we're getting information provided to us that can drive an improvement in our service so they're expecting you to provide learnings to staff so we can build on an improvement and they're also going to want to see measures taken to improve the service as a response to complaint that it's not just sorted out and tidied up and put to bed that we actually drive an improvement um, in response to the complaint, ensuring all the records are, are maintained and up to date and that analysis and trends of complaints are received. And as we talk about some of the other requirements, we talk about driving continuous improvement. This is where this analysis and trends is going to be really important and the process by which by which we, we analyze the data that our service is providing to us and utilizing it to drive continuous improvement in the service. So that's prescriptive requirements. So the regs give us a lot of information of what they expect to see. But I wanted to pull a few examples then of high level requirements where it's not quite so specific. And when we talk about that light touch regulation, this would be more, uh, more comparable uh, to, to, to that type of requirement. So in this case, this is from management of services in Reg 14. The service provider shall ensure there is a clearly defined management structure that identifies lines of authority and accountability and specific roles and responsibilities. So not very vague detail there, but what exactly are HICWA going to expect to see when they come in to, to monitor compliance in that regard? Well, from our experience and, and from, from the work that we do with, with all our health and social care providers, we know that, first of all, what I would say, the very first thing that HICWA will do is, is speak to the senior manager um, they certainly want to ensure that in all cases that there is that the registered provider that the senior management team are very confident um, in their application of all requirements and that they're confident that they know exactly how um, the service uh, achieves compliance in that regard they're going to expect to see a detailed organizational chart in place with designates in places in place for all managerial roles and this is something certainly that came to the forefront i'm sure within your own services and within nursing home services uh, within COVID, where individuals were giving, given a vast amount of roles and responsibilities within a service. But when that individual was removed from the service, really the quality and safety management system and the provision of services fell apart very quickly. So they're looking at a much stronger designate roles to be in place so that everybody is very clear should one individual step out of the organization that there are other individuals there to support the roles and responsibilities that are required. They're looking for comprehensive job descriptions for all the roles, and that includes the specific roles and responsibilities as defined by the regulation. So a lot of detail, and that's not just in the regs, but also the roles and responsibilities that are defined in the standards, the guidance documents, whatever the case may be, depending on the regulatory framework as it's released. They're looking for a code of conduct for professional services to be in place and clearly de detailed. And if you're utilizing any external service providers, they want a pretty detailed service level agreement in place, again, to detail the roles and responsibilities that are in place for, um, for external services. For our teams and committees, we, they will expect to see 
detailed terms of references and agendas to be in place for each of those committees. Again, clarifying their roles and responsibilities to monitor the quality and safety of the care that's being provided. And arising from that, they expect to see minutes of these meetings and evidence of follow-up of any decisions that are taken. Again, training records need to be in place for all of these types of roles um, and including management in that regard. So there's some of the expected outcomes they would expect to see in, in, in relation to, to that requirement. Another example here, the service provider shall have a risk management policy and procedure in place, which enables the effective identification of risks to the service provision, including escalation of risks, and shall ensure that he or she is able effectively to respond to identified risk. So when we look at this, if we were making a self-declaration in relation to this requirement, it might be very different to what HICWA would expect to see should they come on site. So in this instant, first out, they're looking again for confidence in, in, in the register provider, the senior manager, that, um, that they have an understanding of the risk management process and they're, uh, that they're, they're clearly uh, aware of their roles and responsibilities in that regard. Then that risk management policy, is it documented, is it comprehensive, and is it proven to be effective in place? As I said, those roles and responsibilities, not just for the individuals, but also for the teams. Do we have a risk management team in place or who is managing and monitoring the risk management process uh, on an ongoing basis? Do we have our risk registers in place and is it identifying the risks associated with our corporate governance, our service provision and with our health and safety? And does it clearly detail what are the risks? What are the controls that we have in place? What are our risk levels? And what are the, the, the actions that are outstanding to try and drive down the risk associated with it and the continual monitoring and follow up in that regard. They're going to expect to see a process for individual risk management for service users, and they're going to look for a defined process again for that escalation of risk uh, to management for all staff so that the individuals, the, the, the frontline staff that are working, are they very clear that if they identify a risk, how they can quickly escalate that to management and that there will be effective response in that regard. And again, full training completed with relevant staff on the risk management process, not just on a once off basis, but on an ongoing basis and certainly in response to any changes that might be incorporated into the processes. Another example here, the service provider shall establish procedures for quality assurance. So in this regard, we're talking about assuring the quality of care, quality and safety of care to establish and maintain the quality of services provided. So what do they mean by uh, those procedures for quality assurance? Again, what are they expecting to see when they come in uh, to our service? Again, our point of our starting point, our policies and procedures, are they reflective of the requirements? Are they reflective of best practice? Are they reflective of actual practice? And do they assure the consistent provision of service so that if I do the job or you do the job, that there is a con consistent application of the process involved. So again, those policies and procedures really need to be live documents. These are not documents gathering dust on a shelf. They're live documents that are incorporated and activated and utilized on a day-to-day -day basis. They're reflective of the best practice, the, reg the requirements, but also they're actually being implemented on the floor um, by our fund services. Is there an appropriate training program in place to assure staff competency? So if we're talking about quality assurance, are our staff conf confident um, to, uh, to implement the processes that we have in place? Are there processes in place to review and monitor the care being provided services 
via the review of service user records, via supervision of the care being provided? Is there service user and support person feedback mechanisms available to them to ensure that if there is feedback that can, that can improve our quality of care, that it's incorporated um, and, and, and it's fed back into the service? And again, are the appropriate teams and committees in place to provide an overview of the service provided? Are they monitoring the services being provided and assuring the quality of care that's being provided. One of the central elements that, we're, that, that really has to be really robust within your services is the auditing process. And it has to address all aspects of the services compliance, not just to the regulations, but also to your own uh, policies and procedures. And when we look at audit practice, we start the regs and standards, but we also have to incorporate reviewing our policies and procedures and then the actual practice on the floor so that very cyclical approach to audit practice and we have to ensure that when audit is being done it's been uh, it's driving actions that effectively address any of the non-conformances that were identified and we have to really be um, uh, focused on ensuring that we have trained competent auditors in place with the required skills to lead these audits and what we've seen in a number of cases coming through in, in recent um, HICWA audit reports uh, from other health and social care services, that although services might have an audit model in place, it's not effective. It's not picking up the issues that HICWA can see very clearly when they come into services, but uh, within the organizations, they're ticking off, they're saying, oh yes, all good here, everything is compliant, but it isn't a thorough audit and they're not identifying things that are very obvious to HICWA as being failings and impacting on their, their compliance. They expect to see a process for monitoring complaints, incidents, risks, hazards, and also to identify trends that may affect the quality and service, uh, quality uh, and safety of the service being provided. So, are we seeing a slight deterioration, perhaps in in uh, where if we have surveys, slight deterioration in satisfaction rates? Is it an indicator? of a problem within the organization that needs to be further investigated. And they expect to see key performance indicators, appropriate key performance indicators in place that are benchmarking the performance of the services on, a, a, um, on an ongoing basis. So again, that we can monitor whether there's any deterioration in the service and the quality and safety of the service that we're providing. This one, uh, I think this is the last one that we'll look at. The service provider shall establish a system for continuous quality improvement. So this, we've had quality assurance, but now they're looking for quality improvement and how that's going to be underpinned by the national standards in that regard. So what are they going to expect to see? So they're going to expect to see all of the things we've talked about in quality assurance, but they're also going to expect to see quality improvement project processes. So this is where we, the service identifies that there may be a particular weakness in a specific area, and then they drive a project to try and improve that process. Now they might identify that weakness. There might be an area of best practice or new guidance that's come out that we know that the service needs to build on. So that might act as a quality improvement project. There might be audit or inspection findings that were identified that would, it would indicate that, again, an improvement process is required for our service. Or we might have gotten feedback from staff or service users or their support pro pro person that would identify an improvement is required and, and on that basis drive a specific project in that regard. And they're going to expect to see 
as we talked about earlier, that the fine process to support learning by staff, not just in relation to issues that occur internally, but also driving learning and improvement by looking external to our own services. What is happening externally within other health and social care organizations? And how can we learn from problems and issues that arose externally to support the improvement of our service internally? The service providers shall have in place systems and processes to ensure compliance. So how are we going to give them evidence that we are ensuring compliance within our regula regulations? From the start, our policies and procedures, are they defined, comprehensive and compliant? Is our audit module in place that reviews all of the policies and procedures as well as the requirement? Have we an annual review completed detailing the quality and safety of the service provided as per the regs? Are the roles and responsibilities of staff reflective of the compliance requirements in that regard? So we've looked at those, we've looked at some of the more prescriptive requirements and, and, and then some of the more high level requirements and what from our experience HICWA would expect to see. But when we look at the position that you're in currently, what do we need to do right now to prepare as we move forward? Well, for now, what we would recommend, it is really important that you now benchmark your service against the draft regulations. So how are we going to do that? Well, we need to understand our current position against these regulations. So how do our service processes currently stack up against what's required from us? Are our processes comprehensive? Are they effective? And are they person-centered? We need to ask ourselves really detailed questions and thorough investigation in that regard. And then once we know the gap from where we are to where we need to be, we then can start to develop a plan for compliance. And in, in fairness, when, when HICWA have come into to, to new health and social care areas, um, you know, generally they recognize uh, where an organization has been proactive in identifying the weaknesses and driving a plan to, to, to achieve compliance in that regard. Um, it's not like the NCT, you don't wanna run through this first inspection and, and, and find out all the problems and then try to fix them. That's not where we want to be uh, when, when HICWA uh, initiate this process. We want to be ahead of the game. We want to know where our problems are and we need to get very proactive quickly in trying to close that gap from where we are and where we want to be. In relation to how HCI can help, we are currently in the process of completing a number of gap analysis for home, uh, home support services, where we look at the draft regulations, look um, at, at the expected outputs uh, that from our understanding, our knowledge of, of HICWA's approach. And then we look at developing a comprehensive report, report that not only looks at your areas of non-compliance, but also the areas of good practice um, that we can bring to the fore. And, and, and as I said, look towards that development of a compliance plan that will put you in a good position as you move forward uh, within the regulatory framework model. Just very briefly, I only have a couple of minutes, just wanted a, a couple of slides on learnings from the residential healthcare sector. And again, where the key failings and issues um, that come up again and again uh, in, in relation to uh, health and social care services trying to achieve compliance. The top seven, number one is always the same. Uh, the key, the, the, the number one area of uh, findings and non-compliant non findings is in governance and management. And as I said, when HICWA arrive on the doorstep, they certainly want to go in at the top level and want to ensure that they understand that if the model uh, isn't uh, sufficiently robust in governance and leadership, 
then uh, the, the service really is on the back foot from the outset. They have also a number of areas of non-compliance have been identified in, in assessment and care planning, incident management, policies, procedures, risk management, training and staff development and records. They're generally the key areas um, that throw up issues across the board. But just briefly going back to the importance of governance, this, is, um, this was a statement by the HICWA Chief Inspector uh, quite recently. It said, detailed over the last past nine years, regulation has shown that in order for any provider to, to deliver and sustain a good service, there must be effective governance and management. The provider must have a robust governance management in place in order to ensure that safe, quality service is being run. Service providers also need to assure themselves of the safety and quality of the service through audit, rather than relying on HICWA inspectors to find their non-compliances. As I said, we don't want to be like the NCTs, running it through and see what comes up. Just one final point, responsibilities. Um, and in case it's not daunting enough, uh, within the tender document, the service provider shall, the roles and responsibilities allocated was detailed 11 times. In the, regular, or in, 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 the in the draft regulations, the service providers allocated 66 individual responsibilities throughout the document. Um, so it is certainly a much broader approach uh, without a doubt. So as I said, there is support there available to you from HCI. We'd be only delighted to speak to you um, about considering that gap analysis and looking at your plan for compliance as you move forward. Thank you very much, everybody, for attending. And if you think that anybody else might be interested in hearing what we had to chat about today, please feel free to circulate the link to them also or um, give Rosemary a shout, she'd be more than happy to discuss it. As I said, do consider those gap analysis, whether it's internally or with the support of HCI, it's certainly something that you want to progress as quickly as possible um, to get ahead of the game um, and be prepared as early as possible. Thank you very much for taking the time.